Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Welcome to the show, Omi Shade. I'm so honored and privileged to be able to host this interview on behalf of Rosie at Radically Loved. She's off creating some amazing content at Headspace. So I get to stand in and and do this amazing job of welcoming you to the show. So I'll just give a little bit of description of who you are, and then we'll dive into some fantastic conversations. So Omi Shade is the creator, curator of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. And this is a multimedia project. It's focused on normalizing menopause and aging through the centering of the stories of Black women, women identified, and gender expansive people. And so I'd love for you to expound upon this on Wishade, but I know like you have a podcast, which is called the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. And you also have this really cool deck of Say More cards, which was a collaboration, right? That you did. Can we start with the Say More cards? Because I was, perks of the job, I gifted this amazing deck. And as I have just been exploring and preparing for this interview, I think it's so cool how it's what is the word, categorized into four different elements, earth, water, air, fire, and these prompts, these writing prompts. I just, I'd love to hear you talk about this collaboration and and what inspired it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Tessa. I started the Black Girl's Guide as a part of a sabbatical from social justice work back in 2019. And I guess some point, midpoint into the season, or maybe it was at the end of the first season, Kendra reached out. And, you know, as a new podcaster, let me just truth in advertising. I had no intention of this being what it is now. I just thought this was going to be kind of a creative project for myself while I was on sabbatical and that I would have an opportunity to talk to people who mean something to me about their experiences. And they would, I would then roll back into some other social justice organization and continue Mm -hmm. to work. But that is not what the universe had in store for me. And so initially I was contacted by Kinder because they wanted to purchase pre-roll and mid-roll. I had no idea what they were talking about. But, you know, when you are in your early 50s and you're starting something and you appear to be in charge, you cannot come clean that you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) So... They sent me an email and they were like, we really like your format. We love what you're addressing. We are Kendra. We are a lifestyle femtech company that provides supplements and lotions and lubricants for midlife women, uh, menopausal women. And we would love to purchase advertising time. And I was like, let me get back to you with my rate because I had no idea what they were talking about at all. So, you know, Google is our friend. And I got on Google, I was like, what is a pre-roll? What is a mid-roll? How do you determine an appropriate price rate or price point for pre-roll, mid-roll or whatever? And I came up with this kind of bizarre, like really like random number. I was like, 
whatever, and gave it to them. And they immediately said yes, which lets me know that I lowballed myself that first time. And we started our relationship from there. And it was a combination of things that made that partnership continue to this day. One, they were very thoughtful in their approach to me. They were very thoughtful and respectful of our platform and the fact that we unapologetically center the stories of Black women, Black women identify Black gender expansive people. They also wanted to know more about me and my journey and who I am. And so for the first kind of corporate partnership that we entered into, they approached me in a way that felt just really, really affirming. I'm a very relational person. I have been engaged in social justice work since I was 27 years old. So I'm driven by ethos. I'm driven by my values. And so if you dangle money in front of me and your ethos is grimy and your values are trash, I'm not working with you. And I said that to them in no uncertain terms. And they were like, okay, we get it. And it's very important for you to respect me and not to invisibilize me in this partnership. And they were like, got it. So last year, last fall, this time has been a year ago, actually this month, they reached out to me again and said, Omi, we would really love to partner with you on creating some kind of collective merch. And I said, well, you know, I'm not actually interested in another t-shirt living in the world or another sweatshirt living in the world. We have merch. It's doing okay. It's, you know, sometimes people buy it, sometimes people don't. I'm really not that wedded to it. It's not that deep. I said, but I would like to be intentional about creating something that could be of service to this growing menopause landscape and ecosystem to help people have conversations because some people just don't even know where to begin. It's just such a hard conversation for so many reasons. You can't assume why it's going to be hard for a person. And they said, okay, well, let's work on that. So we came together and we had like, you know, a few ideation conversations around what could be this tool? And I'm a person who has a pretty consistent practice with tarot and oracle cards and angel cards. And so I said, I would like for this to be something that people could fold into their day. So if they have a meditation practice, if they have a tarot practice, if they have an oracle card or angel card practice, this could become a part of the complement of decks that they work with on an individual basis. Or It could also be like some of the conversation cards that we see that people use for dating or with their partners or with their friends. So it could be a both and. And we decided that we would do the both and. And so that's how Seymour was born. So Black Girls Guide and Kendra, we did everything from the the design of every single question, the language for every question, the prompts, the invites, the styling of the artwork, the type of artwork that we were attracted to the way we wanted to package it, everything. We literally did it all together. And because Kendra already has products, they have the infrastructure to be able to work with a publisher to get it from concept to production and also to be able to absorb any costs around that and making sure that people could produce it. Because I also didn't want to turn my home into an Amazon distribution center. I was like not interested in that. I don't want to be running to the post office and I don't want to be responsible for a lot of product. So they were like, that's not a problem. We already have the infrastructure in place to be able to handle that. And we came up with a price point. We wanted it to be affordable. We wanted the cards to be lush and big. And you can say to people, these are big cards. These are not little. I wanted them readable. As somebody who has 55-year-old eyes and wears a progressive lens, I wanted to be able to read them with my glasses on or off. And I wanted them to be aesthetically pleasing to the eye 
as well. So we worked on that from last fall until early spring. We had a real time crunch to get it all together. So that way it would be ready to drop by Mother's Day, which Mm. was super exciting. And the response has been overwhelming. We have had a couple in-person events. Kendra's used the cards. We've like shared the cards with partners and people who participated on the podcast. We had our first in-person event back in June where we had a very small group of intergenerational African-American women here in Durham, North Carolina, where I live. And we introduced the deck to them in early June and everybody got a deck and that was amazing. And then we recently co-hosted a virtual intergenerational event with our local NPR station, WUNC, with the Embodied podcast. And we did a similar thing where we just kind of walked people through how to use the deck. We also realized that not everybody has a journaling practice Mm -hmm. and might need some support. So we created an open source toolkit that's called the Cartographer's Guide to the Seymour Deck. And it's essentially like helping people wayfind with the deck, right? So it's like, if you're going to walk this journey with this deck, how do you identify what type of journal are you? Are you a a brand new person to a journaling practice? Are you consider yourself an OG, like you've been journaling for quite some time? We make suggestions around how you can develop your journaling practice. We take liberties of combining certain elements to offer people an opportunity to dive into a deeper complexity of the questions. Um, We came up with a reading list that matches up with the complement of the elements. We have a playlist of music that you can Mm -hmm. listen to. And we also tethered certain podcast episodes to those elemental combinations. In my past life, like one of the first things I ever did when I started working in social justice, I was part of a leadership program and we did trainings and always creating curriculum, creating trainings, learning about different kinds of pedagogy. We learned about Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed. We learned about popular education models. And so I, in my heart, I'm a trainer and a facilitator. I love training. So we just kind of baked that into the deck to make it not feel like it's a training, but to feel like, oh, this is really accessible. They're making it really easy for me to use it. And it's fun and it's it's lovely and it's thoughtful and it resonates, I hope. Yeah. Oh, it sure does. Yeah. And there's actually one card that, because I've had a chance to spend some time with these cards and there's one that keeps jumping out at me. And I have a regular tarot practice and journal practice too. And I, as I was looking forward to this interview, I was like, oh, I want to ask Omi Shade what her answer is to this, if you okay. don't mind. Go for it. And it's from the element of air. And mm-hmm. the question is, what do you look forward to most as you age? Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite questions. That question comes up for me quite often. I sometimes, I feel like I live a lot in the air element and in the earth element. And that's interesting because today the tarot card that came up for me was the four of pentacles. I really look forward to the learning that I continue to get to do. I have moved into a creative identity that I wasn't always comfortable with. I felt like I would tuck it into my work. So it was like a very easy way for me to be creative without putting myself out there as a creative. So that way, if I wasn't legitimately showing up 
with a creative identity in a way that people could say was a, was legible to them and that they could say, oh, she's a performer. She's a visual artist. She's a storyteller. She's whatever that I could hide behind. Well, I tucked my creative identity into my training responsibility or into my political education responsibility or into my advocacy responsibility. It'd be a nice mask for me to hide behind. And I think that as I've gotten older, that has fallen away where I kind of stand barefaced as a creative. And I'm learning so much about my creative shape. I'm learning about what I'm called to. I'm learning about my aesthetic. I'm also learning about what I don't know and my ability to be in a place of curiosity around that without shame or judgment and feeling like, how could you not know what that thing is? Or how could you not know how to do that? Because it's not possible for you to know how to do everything or know everything. I also think that as I've gotten older, I really look forward to the continuing kind of shedding and um, unlearning of negative messages, trauma, emotional harm, assumptions I made around who I need to be to be loved and safe. And I think that as I move more full, I'll be 56 next year. So as I move into this like transition from my mid fifties to my late fifties, mm-hmm. I am continuing to shed those things and to shed those things. Sometimes it's not easy. That leads me back to my childhood. It leads me back to my origin story. And so how I can like return to those places from a place of compassion and kindness, first for myself, certainly for my parents. I adored my parents. My parents are both ancestors. And so it feels a little not okay to interrogate them post-mortem mm-hmm. around who I am, but they made me who I am. And so to be able to be more curious about who they are and their upbringing and how that translated to how they raised myself and my siblings has been a huge gift. As I get older, I continue to look forward to what they, my parents are very active ancestors. I grew up in a blended family. And so my mother and my father and my stepdad are very active ancestors and are continuing to like reveal parts of themselves to me since they've been gone that like helps me go, oh, that makes sense. I get it. Oh, I didn't know that. You know, new information has even been revealed to me since the pandemic that has absolutely helped me understand my mother in a way that I I don't know if she ever would have revealed that to me as a person in her living life. But it, it just seems like it was so much easier for that information, that revelation to be shared as an ancestor and for there still to be love there and still to be healing available. I really love what's unfolding and what's shedding away. Ah, oh, that's such a beautiful answer. I love that invitation to think about those that are not here in physical form in this way of still learning from them and receiving downloads and information from them. Absolutely. You know, kind of like watching over us. I love that. Always, always. Next week is my mother's 24th Ascension anniversary. It's also my father's heavenly birthday. So um, November tends to perennially be a tender time, sometimes more tender than others because <laughs> um, grief is what it is. I'm feeling very present to them around me this time of year, but I don't feel a sadness like I have felt in years past, but I I definitely feel the potency of their love for me. 
That's so precious. I love that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned origin story a few times, and I do, I want, I have so many questions around the topic of menopause, but before we go there, I'd like to hear more about your origin story. Sure. So I am a seventh generation North Carolinian, which means a lot to be able to say that as a Black Southern woman, because we've been separated from so much of our ancestry and our history that it's kind of limiting how far back you can go. Unless you've got Skip Gates, who's going to like bring you on PBS and hook you up and do the DNA swab and do all those things. But because I don't have a relationship with Dr. Gates, I have had to find my own path with different ancestry tools. But I was born in a place in eastern North Carolina that's near the coast, sits in between two rivers. So I'm both a sweet water and a salt water girl. And we moved to Washington, D.C. when I was a toddler and then to Prince George's County, Maryland, where we lived for about 11 years. And then we moved back to North Carolina where my stepdad and my mom got divorced. And I grew up in a family with a lot of cousins, lots and lots and lots of cousins. Matter of fact, I had 16 first cousins who were girls and two boys. And the boy cousins were much, much older. Mm -hmm. So they were like uncles because Mm -hmm. they were like 20 years my senior. So my dad was the eldest sibling of six. He was significantly older than my mom. He passed away when I was a baby and my mom was pregnant with my sister. And then my mom remarried our stepdad who adopted us. And so we've got this huge blended family, gaggles of cousins. Summers were just full of like brown legs and lots of hair and mosquitoes and foot races and scary stories and mischief. (laughs) And I adored it. We would split our summers when we lived in Maryland between Brooklyn, New York and New Bern, North Carolina, where I was born. And if school let out on June 6th, by June 8th, we were in a car headed 95 North or 95 South. And we loved it. I loved everything about summers with my cousins. Uh, There are smells that I can still like recall, music, foods that I was introduced to. And then, you know, at the end of the summer, you would just be in this place of begging your parents to let you stay Mm because you're going to die if you have to leave your cousins because they're your best friends and you'll never be able to go on with your life because you got to go back home, which was not true. And my youngest sister and I, are 14 months apart. And so my siblings are in pairs. My elder sisters, Marianne and Michelle, are a pair. My elder brothers, Fred and Charlie Jr., are a pair. And then my sister, Georgette, and I are a pair. And we lost our first sibling back in 2018, which brings your mortality to you in a very different way because you anticipate, expect, don't look forward to your parents' transition. But when a sibling transitions, that's very close to you. And we weren't prepared for Fred's transition. We didn't know it was going to happen. He had a heart attack and died in his sleep. And so that really kind of like, again, reoriented our family shape and how we are together and how we look out for each other and the time we spend together. And then the pandemic has made that challenging because my, because my siblings are so much older. I didn't see my older siblings for over a year. And that was really, really hard because they're older and they were very mindful of their age. So I am a divorced mom of two spectacularly beautiful Black boys. 
My oldest son is 30, graduated from Howard University in Washington, D.C., where Chadwick Bozeman graduated from college and lives in Brooklyn, New York, and is a super creative person. He's become like my creative mentor where, you know, when I'm like freaking out about something I'm working on, like we also publish an annual zine and we were about to release our third zine this year. And the first year I did the zine, I was totally freaking out to so like crying and just, I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. This is a really terrible idea. And why would I do this? And he was like, dude, what is wrong? I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, Che. This was a bad idea. He's like, mommy, calm down. And I was like, what if it doesn't work? He said, what if it works? Mm. I'm like, I don't know. Okay. He was like, just push the button. <laughs> so if I push the button and it doesn't work, if you push the button and it doesn't work, then we'll figure out why it didn't work. Mm. Like, you're not going to destroy anything. And I was like, okay. And I pushed the button because I was uploading it to issue so people could read it electronically. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And then I started crying because it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I called him back. I was like, it worked. And he was like, why are you crying now? I was like, I just, you know, I got worked up. He was like, oh my God, dude, you just gonna have to calm down, man. Listen, we constructed everything in this world so you can do anything you want to do. It's really up to you. You are not finished. And I was like, thank you. Wow. Such and sage I, advice. Oh, I know. He, he's, he's a Pisces. He's, he's like mm-hmm. the bottom of the ocean. And then my little one is 14, who's not a little one anymore because he's taller than me and his dad, my ex-husband. His name is Taj. And he is quite possibly one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my whole life. And he showed up in our family just to bring just gobs of joy. Like he adores his big brother. They have a very loving relationship. He adores his dad. He also now has a little sister who's seven. He adores his little sister. He, he just, he's a, he's a sweet kid. He's a very sweet kid. I like my kids. You know, there are people I know who love their children very much, but don't really like them. Yeah. And I like my kids. They're not my peers. I don't make them my peers, but we are friends. I feel like that's such an interesting, I want to dive into that, what you just said a little bit, that they're not your peers, but they are your friends. I think of my peers in particular around like my generational footprint. So I'm a generation. Mm -hmm. So we will have shared experiences through a cultural lens, through time lived experiences and like I use my I'll use my cousin as an example we were they were born the exact same year we both are parents we both have buried both our parents we have been through trials and tribulations we are survivors of all kinds of things and mm-hmm. so there's a way in which I know I can be vulnerable with her and she can be vulnerable with me that feels appropriate and feels held and feels reciprocal I don't want to adultify my children mm-hmm. I don't want them to parent me yeah. So I see them as my friends. Like, you know, we have a very strong, intimate relationships where we talk about things and we share our emotions. But I do keep what I consider an appropriate parental boundary for our family around when I share things and how I share things mm-hmm. and some things that I choose not to share. And we'll make a decision on whether or not they will get that information when I feel like the timing is right. I think that my experience Doing social justice work makes me really keen on the fact that Black children are adultified way too soon. Their innocence, their bodily autonomy, their ability to engage in consensual relationships with people is stripped from them really, really young. And Black boys are adultified and dehumanized and people find them frightening very, very young. 
And so inside of our home, I am not trying to replicate a carceral system. I'm not trying to replicate a system where my boys feel like they have to be a man before they are actually an adult or where they feel like they have to parent me or caretake me, which then again, adultifies them or parentifies them in a way where they are stripped from their, their childhood. And I think that both of the boys were able to because of the co-parenting relationships I have with their fathers and this intentional community of people that we have really sweet relationships with, they've been able to be kids in a place that's not always safe for us. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think that's such an important distinction to make and also to clarify. Mm -hmm. I mean, parenting is not an easy job, but I, I commend you for drawing that line and being aware of it in the first place. So I would like to talk a little bit more in depth about menopause. I'll start a little bit bigger and then we can zoom in. My first topic I want to address is having gone through menopause, what did you wish you knew about it before going through it? Oh, I definitely wish I knew that menopause was a spectrum that has a a beginning, middle and end. And inside of that beginning, middle and end, there is also a spectrum that exists in that. It's almost like the mathematics of, of menopause. One of my favorite things to say to Taj when he was a little boy, I said, do you know how many numbers there are between zero and one? And he was like, no, I said, infinite. He was like, that's crazy. I was like, I know. So you can pretty much bank on the fact that there are infinite possibilities in the world, right? And he's like, sure. Menopause is kind of like this fractal mathematical equation where it's like there's the perimenopausal phase, but inside of perimenopause, there is an early, a middle, and an end that's very dynamic. The beginning might be not clear or be wholly invisible. You don't even know you're perimenopausal until you're done. And then the menopause phase, like there's so much, I think of menopause for me as being three things being physical cultural and social political. And the physical aspects of it is literally your 12 months cycle free and the, you know, the reduction in the change in your hormones and no longer releasing eggs and all those things. And those things are very, very dynamic in how they happen. And then I am a postmenopausal person. I haven't had a menstrual cycle since 2013. My hormones are still fluctuating. My hormones are still shape, shifting and navigating. I'm still settling into my postmenopausal body. So even though I no longer menstruate and haven't menstruated for almost 10 years, the way that hormones bathe your body, your entire body, your brain, your eyes, your hair, your teeth, your whole endocrine system, your uterus, everything. It stands to reason that even though I stop releasing eggs, as my hormones are still settling into this postmenopausal truth, I'm still shape shifting. I'm still settling into my postmenopausal shape. So I wish I knew that. My mother was a registered nurse. And so growing up, I felt like my younger sister and I got quite a bit of information about our periods, like what to expect about your period. You know, we were also growing up in the seventies. And so there were like tons of books in our house around our bodies and like graphic novels and comics and pamphlets and, and things like that. I don't recall ever seeing a pamphlet or a book or a graphic novel in our house around menopause. And if there was one, I wonder if my mother would have shared that with us. If she felt like that was a little premature, you don't need to know that you'll learn about that when you need to. And I'm of the mindset 
now that when you start talking to your children about their bodies, that you do talk about things in an age appropriate way and in a timely way, but it's okay to give people a big picture. Like your body's going to change your entire life. Mm -hmm. From the moment you're born to the moment you transition, your body's changing. And all along this journey of your body changing, your body is going to give you information around what it needs to be healthy, what it needs to be safe, what it needs to be whole. And I think of menopause as one of the many liminal experiences we have as human beings who have uteruses and ovaries. And I think that, you know, your body kind of has like this built-in navigational system that kind of gets activated and then it gets rebooted and rebooted and rebooted and then it just hours down. And I think that menopause certainly is like a real hard reset on your body that people are frightened of because we associate menopause with aging. It's conflated with aging. Sometimes it happens chronologically or naturally. I put air quotes up. And sometimes it is activated earlier because of medical reasons or because a person has decided that they want to take gender affirming hormones or have gender affirming surgery. And so that will then kind of catapult them into a menopause shape that they didn't anticipate or didn't understand fully that that's what's going to happen as well. And you deserve more information. Like you deserve more accurate, timely information around what's going to happen. But we are frightened of aging because we are frightened of death. Mm -hmm. And so I've had quite a few people who reach out to us through our platform who are like, thank you for making this conversation accessible and not scary. Yeah. Thank you. you. Yeah. Likewise. You're welcome. You know, it's like, I don't want you to be frightened, but I understand why you are. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who also has worked as a birth doula and a death doula, like when your body is doing something that is made to do, but is uniquely your experience, you know, you get to a place where the person can't do it for you. You can provide support. You can provide information. You can provide tools, but ultimately that person's body is going to do what it's made to do. Yeah. In my circle of peers and friends, I think many of us are going through stages of perimenopause. And I don't know that it's been, if it's even important to say, oh, it's been clinically proven that we're going through perimenopause, but it just seems like this is something that's happening. And when I first started to have this conversation or have this realization, it was scary for me. And I think for others too. And I think Because, and I think you're right about, you know, it means death, but also like there's all kinds of these scary statistics about what it means. And you include some in the same more, it's like the, our little guidebook to the cards. I mean, hot flashes, vaginal dryness, low libido, dry skin, trouble sleeping, stress. I mean, that's scary too, right? So I think my question is, are these kind of like myths? Are they actual symptoms? Are they things that we may or may not experience? Are are they things to even be scared of? How do we navigate these symptoms? Right. Well, there are actually over 50 physical symptoms that a person can physically or, or a person can experience with menopause. Some of them are the more traditional vasomotor symptoms, which is what hot flashes and night sweats and brain fog falls under. And there's a lot of documentation that this is a physiological truth, but the degree to which a person experiences them is very unique to that individual. 
And it's also very unique to who you are in the context of where you live in the world and your identities. As a Black woman, I've been doing a lot of research around the experiences of Black people with uteruses and ovaries and how they experience menopause. And there's so much information out there about us experiencing it earlier. Like perimenopause, the onset of perimenopause comes on earlier and the symptoms are more intense and it lasts longer. And my question is always, well, why? Why mm-hmm. Why is that? And I think that most of us who live in the United States, Western cultures, um, we're a little hyper fixated on youth, right? Like staying forever young, mm-hmm. right? We're looking for the fountain of youth. Or we've been told that the fountain of youth is the thing that makes you valuable. And we also associate menopause with the loss of your ability to bear children as if everybody who has a uterus and ovaries could or wanted to or did. So there's, you know, that's again, I think when we're thinking about these larger systems that flood our culture with messages, it's very important for us to unpack those things. So racism and white supremacy is really intense. And certainly Black women have really abysmal experiences with the medical industrial complex. It is super challenging. And we're learning more and more about the challenges that Black women or women who are people who have uteruses experiences when they're interacting with their doctors, about how our pain is not believed, the maternal mortality rates. Like there's just a lot of information out there. I think women's health, generally speaking, is fraught with sexism and patriarchy and misogyny. And so why it's important for us to focus on health equity and gender equity and identity when we're talking about our understanding of the different people who are going to experience menopause. It's not one size all. It's a mini menopause kind of situation. And so we don't want to frighten people, but we want to be honest. We don't want to give people the idea that, oh, it's all going to be amazing and you're going to be fine. It's going to be great. And it's not going to be a big deal because that may not be true for that person. But what I am not interested in doing is ringing an alarm that's like, something's wrong with you. You are sick and you're going to have a horrible time and you're going to be a hot, rageful mess. And you're going to hate your family and you're going to hate your coworkers. Your vagina's going to dry up and you're going to die. Like that feels not useful. Right. Like it feels like, why would I say that to somebody as opposed to, well, tell me about how you're feeling right now. What feels good? What feels confusing? What feels hard? How do you want to be supported? Do you want to have sex? Have you ever had pleasurable sex? What does intimacy look like for you? How do you experience pleasure? Do you want support around that? What's your mental health? What's going on with you on the job? Do you feel like you're being seen on your job? Do you feel like you're being pushed out on your job? You know, like there's all kinds of conversations that are wrapped around a menopausal person's journey that walk with them. It's context. And so we also try to provide support for folks in how to develop a more healthy rapport with their healthcare provider, whether it's their OBGYN or their primary care physician or even their therapist. They need to be Team Tessa, Team Omi. You know, mm-hmm. they need to be like wholly curious about everything that's going on in your world, Tessa. I want to know what you do. I want to know about your family structure. I want to know about your family history. I want to know what you do day to day. I want to know the things that stress you out, the things that bring you joy, because that will help me when you tell me sitting on this piece of paper on this chair for 15 minutes, what's going on with you, that context will help me. You know, then I get to be a co-conspirator with you in your health, as opposed to assuming, 
oh, I'm looking at you and I can just assume outright who you are and what you need. And, I, you know, I said this, I was, I just presented at the International Menopause Society Conference and, and we were in Lisbon, Portugal. I said, you all are looking at me and you are probably thinking, that's a Black woman. And you are right. But what if I were a Latinx, genderqueer, non-binary person? You would not know that if you didn't talk to me. You would not know that if you didn't ask me. You wouldn't know that if you didn't give me an opportunity to share my identity and my story and my background with you, because those things are important to my health and my health outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so we're just trying to remind people that all of who you are is important. All of your personhood is important. Every experience is unique. Um, No matter if you don't have any symptoms, nothing's going on and you're just going through this natural life transition or you're going through this life transition and it is dragging you down the street. Everybody deserves support no matter what your truth is around that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I want to be mindful of your time. And I want to know there's so much, we covered so much, so much really wonderful topics in here, but is there anything that you were hoping that would come out of this conversation that we didn't get to or anything you want to add? Let's think about, you know, radical, like the word radical and the word love and like how you show that. And for me, much of my kind of political education around social justice has been around radical frameworks or radical ethos, right? It's like something that goes against the grain, something that understands, has a knowledge of, has studied what is the norm, has studied what has been legitimized, understands why has been legitimized and deliberately decides not to do that because they understand the shadow side of it or the oppressive side of it or how that's been harmful. And so to engage in radical love for menopausal people, it means we get to interrogate our understandings of our bodies, how we feel at home in our bodies, what is in service to us having body sovereignty, what kind of trauma we might move with and the support we need to be able to address that trauma, the larger systems that are at play that take this from just an individual experience to a systemic experience. It'd be very easy to say, well, let's just address this on an individual basis and just you know, call it peace and we're good to go. But that's not the world we live in. So much of the world that we live in, we know that again, it's fractals. What is you experience at the smallest level is also happening at the largest level. And so if I move in the world as a Black seventh generation, cis-hetero woman, and I'm very clear about my intersectional identities, I also know that at some point I'm going to be combating or privileged by certain systems. And I think it's always important to overlay that onto this normalization of conversations about menopause, for the community that we create so that it is inclusive and expansive and that we're not further marginalizing people. And so that you also are humbled. I think it's important for me to show up in spaces with the Black Girls Guide and with the community we're created from a a place of humility and knowing that I'm always going to learn something new about the human experience and learn something new about how people are moving in the world and not assume, you know, I've been doing this thing for almost 30 years. I've seen it and done it all. No, I have not. No, I have not. And every time I think I have the universe, it's like, check this out. I got something yeah. new for you. And you're just like, what? What is that? So I think it's really important for us to remember we're all deserving of our personhoods being mm. 
seen fully and respected. I love that, Rosie. I know Rosie's going to love that as well. Thank you so much for considering Radically Loved and what it means to you. That's often a question she'll ask at the very end of the podcast. So you just intuited that and answered it. Where can people go to find you and connect with you? You can definitely go to our website, um, www.blackgirlsguidesurvivingmenopause.com. Um, you can check us out on social media, Black Girls Guide to Menopause on Instagram or me, Omishade Bernie Scott, all one word on Instagram. We're also on Twitter as Oshun Sweet and Sour. That's O-S-U-N-S-W-E-E-T-N-S-O-U-R because that was like my first handle and I haven't changed it. And I don't know if I'm going to change it. I don't know if I'm going to stay on Twitter either. So this may be all for naught, but I will, I will lift that out there. We're ending the fourth season of the podcast. So we're getting ready to drop a recap next week. And we're also dropping our next annual zine messages from the menopausal multiverse, the lore of the agent, where we explore four folkloric tales of women in aging from around the world, from their voices, not from the folklore. Yeah. We give them their voice back. That's amazing. Oh, thank you so much for showing up and doing this work and sharing it with us. I'm Omi so glad Shari. you're in the deck, Tessa. So oh, glad. yeah, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> it's such a beautiful gift. And uh, I mean, I love that it was ready for Mother's Day. And it's these are kind of conversations I love to have with my mom, too. So thank you for that gift. Really has been a true pleasure and honor to speak with you today, Omi Shade. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.